Hello, and welcome to the Pricing for the Planet podcast, the podcast that explores the intersection of sustainability and business. Today, I'm super excited because we will talk about a very, very interesting topic. So, Julia, thank you so much for being here. You know, we have a tradition in this podcast. We start from the end. So what would be the key message you would like the audience to take away from this podcast? Yeah, so first of all, thank you so much for having me. I think the key message I want people to walk away from after listening to this podcast is that internal carbon pricing, when done right, can be a very useful tool to drive companies' um, decarbonization strategies. It's also a very useful tool to understand your historical abatement costs but also to make sure that you're prepared for the future and that you're investing in future-proof solutions and that you're setting up your company for success in the future and you have a clear path uh, to monetize your sustainability. Awesome. I like that. You know, quick, quick and straight to the point. <laughs> so perfect, perfect. That was the challenge number one. And, and you, 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 you went above and beyond on this one. <laughs> so again, Julia, thank you so much for being here. So excited to have you. For the audience, can you maybe introduce yourself and you know explain a little bit more about ICP and your area of expertise? Sure, yeah. Um, so I'll actually start kind of with a story of how I ended up in sustainability. Uh, so I accidentally went to a seminar about the Paris Climate Agreement during my bachelor's studies. And there the speaker was talking about the intersection between environment and economics. And that's really what sparked my interest because I feel like it's a very important topic that a lot of times we kind of, you know, we're only focused either on environment or either on sustainability. And a lot of the times it's really important to see the balance of the two and to see the trade-off between those two aspects. So that's really what sparked my interest, after which I started taking, you know, environmental economics courses, and then I went on to do two independent research projects. And that's what brought me to doing my master's in sustainable resource management. Um, that's essentially where I did my master's thesis in internal carbon pricing. So in parallel to doing my master's thesis, I also started working at a company called NEMAC. Um, that is also where I work today as a sustainability analyst. So it's a company in the automotive industry, uh, which supply, which uh, produces lightweight components. So really, it's an interesting industry to be in because there's so much pressure from the customers to, you know, develop decarbonization solutions. And it's also such an international um, big market that gets a lot of recognition in, in terms of its impact on decarbonization. Uh, so it's been quite the journey. Um, so that's kind of where the expertise on internal carbon pricing mostly comes from, from the, um, my master's thesis, which I actually did a study on for an EMAC specifically. So I looked at what are the internal carbon pricing approaches that exist and what kind of suitable approach would be best for an EMAC. Um, in terms of what I'm doing today, uh, it's a little bit disconnected from internal carbon pricing, but I think also still very relevant. Um, I'm mostly focused on reporting, so I'm leading the annual report for the, sustain the sustainability annual the sustainability section of the annual report. Um, and that also revolves a lot about around the CSRD and as well as the CDP. So I take care of that as well for NEMAC. And I think the connection there is also in the CSRD and in the CDP, we see the topic of internal carbon price come up. 
So this is also something that's coming up, not only as like a nice to have for companies or companies that are ambitious, but it's also starting to be requested as part of the regulation, as part of a lot of the company's disclosures, which I think is bringing a lot of attention to the topic of internal carbon pricing. But I think there's still a lot of lag in understanding what it really is and breaking it down kind of into really digestible pieces. Super interesting. And maybe can you explain, you know, very easily what ICP is and, and if you can deep dive on the different type of, you know, approach it, that would be super interesting. Yeah, sure. Um, so internal carbon pricing essentially means the value of carbon you put in the company, the value of carbon within the company, right? And what that means is a dollar metric per ton of CO2. Uh, so in very simple terms is a KPI, right? Now, where it gets more complicated is what perspective you look at it from. So there's two fundamental questions you can ask. The first one is, how much does it cost for the company to reduce one ton of CO2? So this is where you're looking at it from what we call implicit pricing or abatement costs. So the historical costs of emissions reductions. And then the other perspective is how much does it cost for the company to produce that ton of CO2? So there are two very different perspectives, and I think this is what can be confusing for a lot of people, because when we talk about internal carbon pricing, technically we're referring to both, but those two aspects are very, very different, right? Because what you pay for CO2 on top is not how much it costs you to reduce it. So um, that's basically, I think, the, the challenging aspect of internal carbon pricing is because it encompasses a lot of different aspects. And in terms of the instruments available, uh, when we're talking about management of the costs of CO2, we have the most common approach with the shadow pricing. So in a nutshell, this is basically including a cost of the expected cost of carbon when you're doing, for example, CapEx calculations and NPV calculations. So let's say you have a new investment. You say, OK, we have two machines. One is more carbon intense. The other is less carbon intense. If you don't have a way to account for the carbon cost that you're going to pay in the future, there's no way to favor that machine that's maybe less carbon intense. However, if you do include that carbon cost in your NPV calculations, then it actually ends up favoring the low carbon approach. So that's just a little bit of insight as to how you know companies are using the shadow pricing. And what is behind MPV? I think that's not and, clear for everybody. Yeah, so net present value. So whenever you look like as a CapEx investment, you'll actually go in and say, okay, what are the costs and where are the associated benefits, right? And basically what happens is you will take carbon, the carbon, the expected carbon cost into account. So you say that, okay, we expect that 2030, it'll be 50 euros per ton. So for every single ton of CO2 that our machine produces, we're going to have an extra cost associated with it. Yeah, and, and super interesting. And, and because it, it's a good question, because it's a lot of forecasting, I guess, because yeah. right now there is not really a cost associated with CO2. So, so companies are forecasting that in by 2030 or 2050, they will probably pay per uh, tons of CO2, right? Yeah, and I think that's the challenging thing with carbon pricing is a lot of times like with shadow pricing, it's really hard to argue shadow pricing when a company is not seeing carbon costs on paper, right? And a lot of times these carbon costs are actually integrated into their commodity prices. Like 
So, for example, it's being transferred through energy, or now there's a new regulation called the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, which basically means from 2026, the price of aluminum, for example, will go up because now when you're importing goods from outside of Europe into Europe, you're going to have to pay a tax on that. Are we going to see that show up as a separate line, you know, on on the balance sheet? No. So it's integrated in your commodity. And I think that's like the challenging thing with carbon pricing is with shadow pricing, too. It's not like it's on on top cost. If it's already included in your energy projections, that's another you know decision for the company to make. Do they um, have an on top internal carbon price, or do they have that as a cost driver for their energy prices, for example? Yeah, super clear, super clear. And, and Julia, so on this podcast, we like to explore, you know, the, the intersection of sustainability and business. Can you explain maybe how ICP could really help companies to be more sustainable? Yeah, so I think the first one, and I really like this approach first, is the implicit pricing, right? And that is basically understanding how much it costs for you to reduce a ton of CO2. And I think especially for multinational companies that have sites all over the world, that number is going to be very different for all the sites because it depends on a you know a bunch of factors like energy intensity. So it's very useful to compare the cost of abatement compared to your you know different sites and to look where maybe it makes a little bit more sense to invest more because it's cheaper to reduce co2 if that's your you know primary driver and you say we want to reach our emission emissions reduction targets we have x amount of money check out where it's cheaper to reduce your co2 as a company right i'm not saying mm-hmm. don't address the other locations but we also have to be looking at it like in a comparative comparative right that like intersection between economics and and um environment so from implicit pricing you know, you need to, in order to monetize on sustainability, a big factor of it is reducing your costs and understanding your cost drivers. And so I think that's a really useful tool there. And making, getting more bang for your buck. So investing again, where it makes sense. From the perspective of shadow pricing, I think it's important or it's important to position yourself in, in a good space for the future, right? So if you already start to account and say, we expect that this cost of carbon will be higher then you're already preparing your business and your business model for that cost in the future. And that's giving you a competitive advantage in, you know, five, 10 years when companies that were not doing any type of shadow pricing are likely going to be in a you know bad position because they made investments that maybe weren't as smart in comparison to maybe favoring the more low carbon alternatives. So, yeah, super clear. And and so how how is it working for any company interested in ICP? You know, where can they start? How can they calculate their own ICP? So you mentioned those two those two approaches, but so where do you start? And, and it's very interesting because you you've done it. Yeah. So I think the first one is defining what you're trying to achieve with the carbon price. Like I said, there's very different angles to kind of tackle it from. Um, there's also the carbon fee ask like the carbon fee approach, which basically means if you have an international company, you as a global entity enforce like a carbon tax on uh, the local sites. And basically they have to feed into a lot of times like a climate fund that you're able to then redistribute. So 
it depends on what you want to do, right? Like if you want to incentivize the plants at a local level, then maybe the carbon fee. If you want to make sure you're improving your investments in the long term, that's already a very different instrument. Like a carbon fee is not going to help you there, so to say. It has to be shadow pricing or a different type of approach, right? So I think number step one is define what you are trying to achieve with carbon pricing. The second step is select the tool that's suitable for that. So kind of, you know, like I said, again, you're not going to use a carbon fee for um, CapEx calculation, so to say. The next part, and I think this is really important, is define the logistics of the tool and how it's actually going to function. And I feel like this is a lot of times where uh, a lot of the mistakes happen or a lot of like the tripping up happens, so to say, is because people are really excited to implement a new project, right? To like implement, okay, cool, we got this internal carbon pricing, we're setting it, you know, at 50 euros per ton, but there's not the logistics or the ability to actually use a tool or you're, it's not really clear to everybody how it's going to be used. Do we use it for all investments? Do we use it only for some? And so it's really important to define those aspects also in collaboration with other stakeholders and in manage in alignment with management <laughs> so that everyone is in agreement and it's not just something that is kind of like thrown to the side and seen as another bureaucratical solution so to say and i think the kind of final piece of advice is really to make sure you find a solution that's suitable for you and make it make sense for your company and I think this is kind of the easy pitfall to fall into, say, okay, well, you know, our peers and competitors are setting their carbon price at this. It's not, it might necess not necessarily make sense for your organization based on your structure and based on your, um, you know, leaders. So I'd say find a solution that works for you and it might not yet be in the books, which is the challenging part. <laughs> but I think that's also part of, part of the fun part. Absolutely. And let's be realistic. I mean, you, you are super early on this topic because I, I don't know many people, you know, one that, you know, that really work in this space and two that implemented ICP, which brings me to the next question is, do you have concrete examples of company that implemented ICP and they did it successfully and they really drove some, you know, concrete change inside the company? I think for concrete change, it's a little bit early because this is such a new instrument. Like I've seen a lot of the statistics that say, you know, the, the top, um, the biggest 500 companies, for example, reporting to the CDP, 50% of them use internal carbon pricing. But to see really how the change is being implemented, I think it's a little bit too early. In terms of case studies, I think it's actually quite interesting to go back to kind of the roots um, and look at BP. So BP actually implemented, they were kind of the first ones to look at internal carbon pricing and their drive was to uh, argue against new policies like carbon taxes. So they wanted to prove that they, they could do it internally. And what they did was they set up an internal emissions trading system for their sites. And this was like 2000. So, you know, 25 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so it's been a topic that's, you know, been out there, but I guess it just hasn't gotten a lot of visibility. Um, but anyways, they basically implemented this internal emissions trading system and they had the goal of reducing 10% in 10 years. And they managed to achieve this. 
However, there were a lot of findings from the study, and this is why I really also like the study, because I think it's one of the most in-depth ones that I've seen. A lot of other ones are just very high level, but this one goes in. And they found that there was not a lot of engagement from the sites because there was too many credits on the market. So basically what happened was that all the sites, you know, they had their limit on how much CO2 they could produce. And then after they would need to like buy a credit if they produce more than that, or they could sell off their credits. So that could be also a profit making opportunity. And what happened was there was too much supply, not enough demand. The price was too low. So the ability to make profit off of it was limited. So it didn't work so well in terms of the trading. And another aspect, which I think is a key learning from the case study, is they actually had HSC people responsible for it rather than finance finance people, which means that their priorities are very different, right? Like if you have a health and safety manager, health, safety, environment manager, they're looking at very different things than a finance guy is, right? And so... They essentially were seeing it more as a compliance rather than a finance making opportunity. And I think the, like from this case study, I think it really is like showing a lot of light, like shedding a lot of light on the key issues you can have when I talk about like this, creating this logistics around the tool, right? So make sure you set the right goals and you're very clear about what your internal carbon price is trying to achieve. And the next part is involve the right people. And it has to be something that is very, you know, it's a drive. It's not a compliance. I mean, I think the the barrier you can run into is it becoming a compliance mechanism or people's perceiving it as, oh, great, you know, another thing we have to do rather than a way for them to actually contribute and actually um, support the company's decarbonization. Super interesting. And and I heard about Microsoft. I, I don't know if, if you heard about that, that they were, I think they were quite early launching some ICP. And, and what's interesting is, I think there are different teams, they would mitigate uh, carbon emission when choosing to do a new project or to invest into a new location, etc. Mm-hmm. I actually haven't looked into too, too deep into that case study, so I won't be able to comment on it. But yeah, there's there's actually a lot uh, of companies that are doing it. Yale Business School also did did a study with their um, sites. So there's definitely a lot you can read upon. The issue is with a lot of these case studies is they're very high level. Like they'll just be like a few paragraphs. But and this is like what also the challenge I ran into is you're sitting there being like, okay, but but how? Like how do we do this? Where do we start? How do you have these conversations? Who do you have them with? So like these like nitty gritty details around such a big topic that really needs to be integrated into the organizational processes. I I feel like there is a little bit of a gap. uh, And I think part of the reason is because a lot of this is very confidential, right? So companies don't necessarily want to be going out and sharing, you know, exactly how they implemented these processes and, and these tools. Super interesting. Yeah, yeah. I would. I, I remember quite well this uh, this article about Microsoft and and you know me working at Google. I was like, okay, that's super interesting, super smart actually to integrate, you know, a carbon price into because we we every day. I mean, we are all taking decisions 
you know, do I invest in this project? Do I invest with this client? How can I allocate my resources and my team members? And then we never, I mean, honestly, we never look from a CO2 point of view because it's no. hard to quantify. But the no. minute, and I think that's the beauty of ICP, the minute that you can quantify the CO2, you can say, oh, it doesn't make sense to invest in this project because it's, you know, it's very heavy in CO2. Where, okay, on this one, actually, you know, we can be much more efficient with CO2. So I think that's such a change of mindset, but but it's such, eye open, it's an eye-opening moment when you start having this both financial aspect and, you know, like environmental and more like planet-related aspect, which is really like, I think, something missing for the past 50 years with a, the traditional capitalistic approach. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that ICP is like a translation mechanism, right? Like you're, we want to be speaking the same language. And I think that's part of the issue is when we talk about CO2, unless you're in sustainability, like if you ask a finance guy, like what's scope one, two, and three, he's kind of going to have no idea what you're talking about, right? And same, like the people don't have a feeling for CO2. And I mean, like, it makes sense because if you don't work with the metric, of course, you're not going to, you know, know how much 5 million tons of CO2 is it, how much it is. Right. And at the same time, I think it's like so important because it kind of, it, it really serves between that connection between environment and economics and say, there is a way to make sustainability also financially make sense. Yeah. No, hundred percent. And one thing that we've seen with pricing for the planet, we, we, we believe that a lot of this change will come from education. So I was wondering if you have any recommendation about, you know, good places, good platforms where people can, you know, learn more about ICP, about sustainability. Yeah, so I think um, YouTube <laughs> is my favorite, yeah, YouTube. one of my favorite platforms. I think there's a lot of, um, not specifically maybe to internal carbon pricing, but in general, I think towards education in sustainability. In internal carbon pricing, I actually haven't seen any specific courses or anything like targeting the topic. However, I would, I do, I would say that there are a lot of guides available. And guides that are quite comprehensive. So if you just Google, you know, how to guide for internal carbon pricing, uh, there is one guide from Ecofist and CDP, which really kind of explains the concept and gives you case studies and gives you the barriers and the pros and cons of each approach. And they also have a lot of statistics on price levels and price levels within different industries. So, for example, when you're setting a carbon price, that's an important fact to consider is which industry are you in? Because if you're in an oil and gas industry, your carbon price is going to be a very different level. If you're in the uh, if you're a company like Microsoft or if you're in the services industry. Right. So these kind of things. CDP is very useful and also interesting, which I think not a lot of people are aware about in terms of, uh, you know, resource resources for information on companies. Well, when a company discloses to the CDP, they actually, if they're part of the A-listed companies, they have to publicly disclose their responses. And as part of those questionnaires, they're very long, um, but they have a section on internal carbon pricing. And so this is where you will actually be able to see uh, what emissions trading schemes the company is covered upon. Um, what is their internal carbon price, their price level, how they're setting it, how they're using it. Are they doing it for scope one, two, and three emissions, or are they only doing it internally? 
So these kind of details, if you know a company, like for example, I've seen it for BMW, I've seen it for uh, Unilever. If you see these bigger companies that are most likely disclosing to the CDP, check it out. I think that's also a very useful tool that maybe isn't as uh, shown, so to say, but it's also where a lot of like the CDP analytics all come from those reports. Perfect. And maybe, you know, do you have any advice? Because I think you, this interview will be quite inspiring for a lot of people interested to move towards sustainability. Do you have any advice on anyone, you know, willing to do a career change and, you know, willing to start to do something related to sustainability? I would say start today. I think this, yeah. I, I mean, working in sustainability is so much fun because it's such an evolving market and it's changing so fast. And if you're somebody that likes uh, uncertainty, <laughs> I'd say come to sustainability because there's a lot of opportunities uh, for growth. And I would say, yeah, start now. Don't be afraid of things you don't know, because I think we're all kind of in the same boat where things are changing so fast. We're seeing a lot of like the, the CSRD, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. It's the new EU regulation, which basically requires companies to report in a specific way towards sustainability. And with this regulation, we're gonna see a lot of movement and a lot of need for sustainability expertise. So I would say start today. It's okay not to know uh, and I think it's actually very useful to have people who are have experience in other functions rather than, you know, sustainability, because they're also able to bring another perspective of, you know, the daily business rather than and really help to integrate it into the organizations. I think that's really important. And also one of the key aims, right, of internal carbon pricing. We want to integrate the topic of sustainability into daily business. So yeah, yeah that, I guess that that's, I don't know if that's advice or general, <laughs> but that would be. No, perfect. Perfect. I think it was a very good advice. And, and finally, and, and I love this question because it's almost like a philosophical question. So be ready. So what is something that many people believe to be true, but your experience suggests otherwise? I think when we're talking about sustainability, especially people think that it's already on paper or that it's already been kind of explained or clarified or same thing with internal carbon pricing, like the, the approach exists somewhere. And I think the reality of it is not really <laughs> like a lot of times, I think we have to kind of step outside of the box and step outside of our comfort zones and look for solutions that are outside of what we've seen. Of course, we can use, you know, examples and case studies uh, to see what other companies are doing or to see what other individuals are doing. However, I think same for a company, same for any individual person, you have to find your own path and you have to find your own solutions that will work almost exclusively for you. Perfect. Julia, thank you so much. Maybe one thing. Where can the audience, you know, find your work or, you know, are you publishing somewhere? Do you have a website? Do, should they follow you on LinkedIn? You know, what is the best way to, to stay in touch with you? Sure. Yeah. I'm, I would say I'm pretty early in my sustainability career. So uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn and then maybe something will come up more interesting in the future. 
Perfect. So, so keep, keep in touch with Julia. If you want to continue this journey with us, you can go on our website, www.pricingfortheplanet.com. We have a free newsletter called the Biweekly Digest, where we talked about intersection of business and sustainability every two weeks. A huge thank you for your attention, for your time, and for your interest. And we hope you like the video, and we will see you very soon.